Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're up to, including all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. Well, this week, Matt Sturbins, Pep Fugis, and Zan Marshland paid us a visit in Crested Butte and sat down with us in our Blister headquarters in Elevation Hotel to catch us up on everything that's been going on at Wonder Alpine since this new ski company was launched a little over one year ago. And if you'd like to hear more about the very interesting Wonder Alpine backstory, then you should check out episodes number 98 and episode number 100 over on our Blister podcast, and then also episode number 63 of this very Gear 30 podcast. And we'll include links to those particular episodes in the show notes of this episode. You see how that works? Anyway, in the conversation we just had this week, We talk about Wonder Alpine's new materials, the new updates to the Intention 110, and we also get the lowdown on their brand new ski called the Vital 100. And in between all of that, you're going to hear some stories about Matt and Pep competing in slopestyle events against each other back in the day. And of course, there's one or two of Sturbins' signature tangential gems, we'll call them, that are sprinkled in here, you know, and those just always really tie the room together. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Matt and Pep and Zan about what is going on at Wonder Alpine. Well, here we are. Once again, the team from Wonder Alpine is here at Blister Headquarters but the team has expanded, and we're very happy to welcome Pep. We are now a wolf pack of three. <laughs> Pep Fugis, we're saying it. I think I nailed that. You nailed it, yeah. 100%. Has there been a better skier ever whose name people struggle to pronounce? Pop, pop quiz. You might take the cake, but we're going with, even though there is a long, complicated backstory to this, we are going with Fugis. The perfect pronunciation. That's what we're going with. Well, welcome to Crested Butte. It's fun to get to meet in person. We recorded a conversation. I think it was our 100th episode. Appreciate you coming out to, to see us here. Pep and Matt Sturbins, you guys picked an interesting way to get here. It was a move that I had been long thinking about just because of the preferred route I'd like to take into Crested Butte is over like Irwin Pass area. You know, I've done it by station wagon. Last year, I was entertained with the use of a rental car, so I was focusing on my drifting techniques. But all along, I was just kind of rubbernecking into the Alpine and thinking about, you know, all the game trail and all the single track and how fun it would be to come in, you know, from the north on some of those back roads. And so... When this opportunity came about, I asked Pep if he'd be interested in getting his KTM out of retirement, which we used to ride all the time. And then he had started his family and the bike just kind of got shuffled to the back of the garage and he was down and Zan was already coming over to ride bikes with his crew. So I thought it'd be fitting if Pep and I rode our dirt bikes up and over. So we initially thought we were going to come in from Marble, but then we got some local beta on the fact that if we came in out of Aspen, we would connect in with some really epic high alpine single tracks sooner and it would be more longstanding. We put in like around Ashcroft Mountain. We went over Taylor Pass, Mount Tilton, and eventually like dropped into this area. We came across some cyclists from Gunnison, so we knew we were getting close. And then we came across, uh, I think it's Double Top Mountain, and we found some really awesome trail riding. And yeah, it's kind of cool, like just cruising into town on motos you know that experience i think kind of helped get us prepared for like all which crested butte is about you know the terrain and like where a lot of these skis are being tested because we've had a chance to look around the backcountry is expansive here it's really really sick and i could see how a lot of that terrain would be pretty epic some of those coolies holy dude it's the rocky mountains are unlike anything we see you know zan marshland What's up? You get the award for traveling the farthest 
honored to accept this award. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Thank you. So I think you started in Berkeley. Yep. <laughs> and then have been traveling out and stopping pretty much everywhere to mountain bike along the way. Yeah, it's been real weird. Doing this in August uh, just totally been a questionable decision. I mean, two days ago, we were riding lunch loops in Grand Junction, and I believe it was 102 by like 1130 a.m. or so. Matt and Pep actually showed up there to cross paths with us to hand off some skis to me because they couldn't bring skis on their motos, obviously. So we uh, we stuck some of these skis behind me in my van. And I think when they rolled up, I was like pretty dizzy at that point, <laughs> really dehydrated, uh, eating a peach like this is the best piece of fruit I've ever eaten. So that was kind of the highlight of the day was like actually finishing riding and getting to eat a good piece of fruit. Everything else was kind of type two fun, <laughs> but it's been good. It was a good journey out here. And uh, I'd say, yeah, the best part of getting here was just getting up to altitude and finding this awesome campsite that we were all at last night and feeling like I was coming back home to Colorado. Nice. Good to have you all here. It was quite something last night when like there was like a knock at my door and I opened the door and there's a pizza delivery guy, you know, Pep holding several pizzas. I never had the creativity to think that that would be like a bucket list item for me. But now that it's happened, it's like, it's another thing to check off the list, like have Pep deliver you pizzas. All of us just like standing there grinning at your door, just like, yeah. we just got out of the woods. Let's eat some pizza. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those, like, you know, be sweet right now, like some pizza <laughs> delivered by Pep. And then that happened. Yeah. So appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, anytime. anytime. You can just call him up. He'll get you a pizza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we are here. The occasion is to kind of get caught up on what is going on at Wonder Alpine. One of you, and I will let you guys decide, should maybe give the, I don't know, one to two minute backstory. What is Wonder Alpine? And, you know, let's, let's do that. We can also refer everybody to the conversation. There's a video of our conversation that we did, I guess it was about a year ago here. So that's up on YouTube. And there's also a podcast probably titled something like Wonder Alpine. I don't remember what episode number it was. But if you have any amount of drive, I think you're going to find this in five seconds. So sure. anyway, give the one to two minute backstory. Well, a little over a year ago, we launched Wonder Alpine, which is an Alpine outdoor brand with a emphasis on material innovation. Um, our first application set was obviously backcountry skis, leveraging my background uh, as the founder of Forefront. And this opportunity came about kind of through a roundabout way where CheckerSpot, the biotechnology platform which we leveraged with Wonder Alpine, was seeking kind of a way to kind of show and prove, essentially a proof point in how the algal-derived polyurethanes can make a notable, um, noteworthy performance impact on a consumer product. And so we kicked off development with the very first Wonder Alpine product, which was an alpine ski utilizing an algal-derived hard foam into what became the algal composite core. And we enjoyed this experience so much so that like, we decided, okay, let's build a brand around this product rather than just go and shop it around to all the other existing brands. Let's form a brand our own, use that as a vehicle, which we can then animate future material developments as well. So we came up with Wonder Alpine. We launched in July of 2019, and the Intention 110 was born. We made a limited run. We do all this stuff in-house in Salt Lake City, and we were largely dependent on the checker spot development work that's coming out of Berkeley to support our application needs. So as soon as we kind of got the brand off the ground, consumer be consumer uh, interactions started, we started kind of fielding inquiries about different product lines, different questions around the materials, ways that we can advance the technology platform. And so we employed a material scientist, Charles Rand goes by CJ. He moved out to work with us to get some on-site development work rolling. And ultimately that gave us some independence of having to like convert the materials from a liquid to solid state ourselves or from rather from Berkeley. So now we were doing that development work all on site. So on one bay you have material science, the other bay you have like ski production and development and the other side you have like testing and fabrication. So really unique and dynamic environment, which we've been able to now like really identify alternative ways in which we can bring this material into, into scope with the product. 
So with CJ on our side and salt light cranking, we were able to identify a new model ski, the Vital 100, which we just recently came out with for our one-year anniversary this past July. And the introduction of our algal wall, which is a secondary application of the algal technology where we now use a cast urethane in place of an extruded plastic sidewall. And so I know that's pretty tech and deep for those who don't build skis, but you've got to realize that there needs to be a polymer that faces all the, you know, otherwise porous materials of the ski core. And that material needs to have a complementary uh, scope and performance that doesn't necessarily lock the core's potential out. So we've kind of reverse engineered what the sidewall material is in the ski, what its, need, what, what its needs are, and innovated upon that with this new cast urethane system called the algal wall. And now with algal wall and algal core, we built this umbrella brand called Algal Tech. So Wonder Alpine is leveraging uh, itself through unique values of this algal tech platform. So we, we, we take in the feedstock of the algal oil from Checkerspot and their technology. We convert that into a solid state material on premise in Salt Lake. And we take those urethanes, those polyurethanes and introduce those into consumer application. In this sense, it's at backcountry skis, namely the Intention 110 and the all new Vital 100. What did he miss, Zan? I don't think much there. Yeah, I that's, think that's pretty comprehensive. I mean, I think he went over two minutes, though. I yeah, think I did too. Over two minutes. I know. That was. I would have bet everything I owned that that was not going to be a two-minute answer. I know. I was kind of like flipping through the history chronologically while speaking, and I know we might actually be done. I don't know if there's still. You may. Have oh just... man! I mean, it's just it's, it's just the introduction, and we're really just at the beginning of a lot. But that was like just trying to touch all the points of activities that have occurred since we were here last, you know? And we fielded quite a bit of criticism because we had really like big plans and we had this mm. really like broad story arc about like eco innovation in Alpine hard goods. But we had this like pretty, you know, binary application to show for it, this composite core. And, you know, using all the other common, you know, materials found in, in the skis in this room. Um, so this last year was a really big year for us bringing material science in-house and creating a second application, which, you know, it would be great if like we could just take an extruded plastic out and put one of our polyurethane materials in. But the reality is, is like once you start to change that bill of materials, it has a ricochet effect throughout all the bill of materials. And that then affects the process in which you're building skis. So we, we had to break the whole ski down again. And, and then that had some adverse, you know, impacts, hmm. you know, we had to start taking into consideration some weight impact. Um, we had to take into consideration waste impact. And so when you start to introduce a new material and you do it with a mindset that it needs to be innovative for not only performance, but also needs to be efficient um, in terms of its manufacturing process, it opened up a pretty big can of worms. But luckily we had a lot more people on the team to help us work through it. And I, I don't think we would have been as conscious around some of the decisions that we made if like, you know, being mindful of the waste stream was so in the foreground of our decision making. And I think a lot of that's largely been when Pep joined the team, he really wanted to do like a deep ecological, like what's the ecosystem of this product? Um, how is it being leveraged? How is it being captured? What's our footprint? And so having his voice, not only in the design of like the Intention 110 and now the Vital 100, but also in how we're going about in the materials um, it's put a lot of different people's opinions, you know, square on the table. So, uh, it's been a complex process and I think it's led to some really meaningful innovation. Um, and we hope that this innovation will be something that will become more, much more standardized in the industry because of it. So the brand launches July, 2019, Matt just broke down some of the things that have you guys been up to, you know, in the last 12 months, but it's always interesting, right? With a new company that, story of whether it kind of things are happening sort of organically or if you are like kind of riding along on the sidewalk and all of a sudden, you know, you fall into a massive hole or something. And how would you guys describe this past year? Has it felt kind of linear in terms of the growth and development of the company or given all of the sort of design and experimentation that was happening, did it just feel like, oh crap, and like 
you know, one step forward, six steps back type of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I definitely, I, I feel like things have really gone according to plan based on what we launched Wonder Alpine to do. I mean, we launched it last year uh, with the express purpose of introducing new high performance materials into skis. And as Matt said, we launched the Intention 110 with the Algal Core. Now this year, we're coming back swinging with a second material. And so that's going to be the trajectory for Wonder Alpine is just to keep introducing new high-performance bio-based materials and keep that product innovation going. Now, as Matt said, there are plenty of hurdles and different like details and you know little swerves and everything within that product design and testing process. Um, but like from my vantage point and from kind of like a macro perspective. Um, I think we can all be really proud of how far we've come and now just a year as a live brand. Uh, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I'm truly honored by the way that we've achieved the goals at which we've set out to achieve. And they certainly weren't give me gimmies by any means. And when I signed on, I was kind of looking at this plan that was laid out and I'm like, wow, like those realistic goals, you know? And of course, um, I didn't really believe that at the time. And then getting to this point where those things have kind of come to fruition, I don't know. I feel like more empowered that a lot of the other ideas that we have in terms of ski design, in terms of waste stream, all these different components, like they will get done if we want them to get done. And I think that was like the determination or like the group determination um, that really like, you know, saw that through. From your point of view, what can you pinpoint sort of the thing where you felt like, wow, that just went much quicker than sort of the team anticipated? And then I'll open this to all of you guys, but what was the point where you're like, wow, that one turned out to be a lot harder than we imagined? I mean, this happens always, right? Like literally anyone trying to build anything on a home improvement project, you're like, oh, I'll just do this. And then you're like, I can't believe how hung up I am on this one stupid thing, right? So talk a little bit, like, were there any big surprises? I mean, I think that the first one was the making of the first polyurethane. I mean, it seemed like that happened really fast. I mean, Scott came in, like came up with a formula, poured it, hand poured it into some skis. And within another day, I was out skiing on these skis. Actually, we poured in the morning, let them set up overnight. We built the ski the next day and I skied them that afternoon. I mean, lots of other iterations have happened since then on like development process of the polyurethane. But that was like, wow, we just did that like that. It felt like, it felt like that at least. Another one was like, we, we wanted to use our waste stream in an efficient and effective way to create new product. I don't know. We've talked about different things for a long period of time. I was like, Daniel, we gotta, we gotta get on this. We gotta like, I would really love to make a scraper. We've chatted about this for a while. And then all of a sudden he's like, so like, yeah, I'll do it tonight. I'm like, okay, <laughs> really? And I like, didn't really have a whole lot of expectations. Came back in the morning. I found this on my desk. Um, and this is base material. That's just base material. There's no epoxy, no resin, nothing. And it's going to be really hard and really durable. It'll do its job and it's completely waste. So I think that's really cool. A wax scraper. Yep. Yeah. Or snow or whatever. Yeah. I'm thinking like top sheets and like, you know, you can use this to get into your bindings and chisel out snow and just like a little utility piece, you know? Yeah. I mean, really what it is, is like, it's like the step one, yeah. it's like the proof point of we can take something from our waste stream from production and make it into something like this is that something right now. Um, but now that we've proved that we can do that, like, yeah, yeah. Where did we go? Like, what's the next step of that? And I think that's something important to consider in like everything that we do right now. Like it's, it's not going to be some kind of overnight, like suddenly the ski is totally different from anything else. It's an iterative thing. And it's something where, you know, we start with a ski scraper. You can't expect it all to, yeah, just be something that comes out like overnight. And this is one of the things we have been talking about is that, you know, how all of us try to think about steps forward and 
innovation and doing things in a better way. And while also trying to avoid, right, like greenwashing, right, which I think a lot of people would have legitimate concerns about because more and more companies are just like, what kind of story can we tell, you know, to, to make us look a little better, you know, given that it's a bit trendy right now to talk about how sustainable we all are and all that stuff. And I, I think those are fair concerns. That said, I also think that anybody who wants to come after companies that really are committed to trying to iterate and figure out the next steps, now you've kind of got it wrong. So I'm curious how you guys are thinking about that, if you agree, if you have something sort of smarter to say to that. But for somebody listening to this and it's like, I don't know, that Wonder Alpine ski sure looks a lot like a lot of the other skis we see in this room. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, I mean, well, these are the first skis on the market uh, to use bio-based materials purpose-built for ski applications derived from microalgae oil. So that's something that I think we can be pretty proud and something that we can hang our hats on. Yeah, in terms of like the whole greenwashing thing, I mean, first and foremost, our goal is to create better performing materials to create better performing products. And we happen to be doing that using a bio-based materials platform instead of using petroleum. So that's essentially the way we look at it. I think that if you want to point fingers at, at different people in the market or anything like that, like I think you're completely missing the point. I think like I, I'd keep in mind that the most sustainable ski out there is one from 100 years ago with uh, leather straps for bindings, no steel edges, wood grown in your backyard, hopefully. But that doesn't really reflect where the market's at right now. Where the market's at right now is performance and figuring out build our skis with new things. That's our primary focus with Wonder Alpine. And in doing so, as we iterate, the bio-based content of our skis is going to increase. We're also doing a lot that Pep spoke about um, in terms of what we're doing with our waste streams and how we can make new things out of the extra scraps, how we can reduce that waste as well. Um, and actually, that's one big advancement as well with the uh, new algal wall, cast polyurethane sidewall, is that actually helps us reduce manufacturing waste because we're actually... Uh, we're just pouring that in as a liquid instead of uh, trimming away a solid and then having to throw away the scraps. So for us, that's really what it's about. It's iterative and it's performance focused. And by taking all of these steps as we move forward, we're going to get more sustainable skis as an added bonus. I, know, I think it's about taking like a more 360 perspective on how a business is run in general and being conscientious about all of the different modalities and activities that happen. I mean, I can point out a bunch of things that we're doing and as far as shipping our products, carbon neutral, where, you know, you're using paper to sheathe our skis, we're not using plastics. I mean, there are little things that we're doing and I think like all of those components add up to a larger sum. I mean, we're powering all of our facilities with a uh, renewable power. Um, we've made that commitment. Um, last year, we were, we were hoping to do it all with solar power, but that wasn't in the cards for our location just because we're leasing a place and our um, our management didn't want to have those unsightly solar panels on our roof. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully in the future that that is something that'll take place. But I think it's just, it's really about, yeah, just having all these different components tied together and just having the mentality that we're trying to do what we can in each different segment. Yeah. And it's funny while you guys are talking, I mean, thing to me, it seems like if a company is kind of telling this story, we're trying to do things better. I think where it's greenwashing is if it ends for them with the telling of that story. Totally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so two companies might be saying almost identical things, but whichever of those companies is actually taking those steps and maybe kind of to, in response to some of the things you were just saying, Pep, they're maybe also trying to like think through every aspect of the business and the production, some of which are not going to be that sexy, you know? Oh yeah. But are you doing those too? It's a little weird and it is harder, right? Because we go into a ski shop, you walk up to a wall and you just pick whatever, you know, top sheet you like best, I guess. Other than that, trying to really figure out which companies do we actually kind of believe in. 
right? And that's an interesting thing. I think like in every category, not just skiing, like in every category of modern life. And um, yeah, I think the hard part of getting getting behind a company is challenging that company and their transparency. You know, there's a lot of skis on the wall here that either had an opportunity to visit their facility and or study their marketing. And just due to the nature of the trade secrecy that exists within this industry, I don't have much in terms of visibility to a lot of the ways that these brands are making their products. I know very well like their new technology footprint and, or their new technology implementation, but I don't know the footprint that came with it. They may talk about a new material, but they don't talk about the origin and the source of that material, how it's being manufactured. And that's something that I feel like we've taken head on and created that visibility for our audience. And, you know, we've kind of washed the site with anything that's using the term sustainability and in place use the term responsibility. Because I feel like we have that owed to our audience to like show them and tell them, provide them the transparency they deserve to really understand what it is that they're buying. Because it's, it's not just a product, it's a lifestyle. They're standing for a technology platform that we believe wholeheartedly is going to advance, you know, material innovation. And, you know, when you think about, well, is it greenwashing? Like it can very easily be greenwashing when you think like very singularly around a new material. But when you understand that the platform is built around biology and that everything is going to work in conjunction with finding ways of using biology as a, as a modifier to current technologies, then you're always going to have the foresight around how can we make things more renewable? How can we do things in a less carbon producing way? And it's nice to have a value proposition that's rooted around those values because you don't ever have to wonder, are we overstepping our boundary with terminology that is designed just to be marketable? Mm-hmm. It's very meaningful. You know, and we, we talk to a lot of product designers and they're like, we are exhausted with all the varying different chemistries that exist in the world today because the base inputs of those chemistries are the same that they have been for decades. But when you can introduce a new ingredient and then have that peripheral, like how wide we can take chemistry, it really does land on some unique opportunities. And so I feel really strong about our statement towards responsibility and the commitment we've made to our audience around responsibility. And I would challenge a lot of the other brands in the space to start providing that same backstory because I hope they are working in meaningful ways like we are. Like we refuse to throw our waste out. You know, we pay so much money for the urethanes that we develop, you know, we pay so much money for all these, this extra, this base material and stuff. And like, we're really performance centric. Like Pep and I won't ski on shitty skis. (laughs) Like it's not going to happen. So we're going to make really good skis using the best materials we can find. And we're going to challenge our designers to make really high performing materials. But we're also mindful that we're running a business and we, we have to generate a profit. And sometimes it's like converting your waste stream into a post-production input is how you're going to save some of those bottom line dollars. And we know the value that we spent to get that material. Why would we just take the part of it that we need for the ski and then just throw the rest in the dumpster? It's just, it's, it's mind melting the amount of waste that comes from ski building. So feeling really good about how we're just like, no, like that's, we don't know exactly what we're going to do with that material right now, but let's mean, let's, let's keep it, you know, it's good. It's grind it up you know, store it in a, in, a, in a mindful way, break it down and then find another use for it down the road and allow that to be an, a contributor to reducing our footprint and to increasing our story around being responsible with the products that we're building, not putting that liability solely on the consumer. We, we were riding into the HQ today and I saw somebody had a cardboard ski box. We were coming down Washington Gulch Road from the camp spot and somebody had a ski box at the at the road where... They're waiting for garbage to pick up. And I'm like, sick, you know, somebody bought skis, you know, and that's dope. It also works in like, there's that guy who's cleaning out the garage over the weekend and he's got the skis sticking out of the garbage can. And you see that too. And you're like, huh, he's done with it. He's going to wait for the magic school bus to show up, take these skis away. And you'll never have to see him again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, that puts a lot of light. Like, I think for me, like as a consumer, you take on that liability when you buy something. And so it's better to know everything that is that you're buying. You know, and hopefully like that guy's stoked on like his new skis and like the box gets properly recycled and he's taking the mindful approach and like what, how is it I see the, the life cycle of this new, you know, product. Um, and I just want to be able to try to create that relationship with the consumer so they know the steps the brands are taking, you know, to, to, to think through these issues and, and hopefully find a 
cradle the grave solution for their products, much like we are. Let's talk about some specific products. Let's start with the Intention 110. Yeah, well, the Intention 110, um, it now, you know, obviously uh, utilizes our algal wall, algal tech uh, ski material. So we've been able to find a secondary element where we can introduce our materials, take petroleum out, put algae in. That's kind of our tagline, our story, making algae our star. Making algae our star? Absolutely. Star of the show. Star of the technology. No. I was thinking constellations for a second, but oh, right. you're thinking more like... It's not guiding our decision-making, but it's... it's the, algae is your North Star. Algae is our MVP. Um, but uh, we came out with the tagline like algae in, petroleum out. And ways that we can use algae in a meaningful way is now with the algal wall. Because of the density of a cast urethane, it's like 60% biocertified. So... We've taken out 100% petroleum-based material that's extruded, that comes in dimensional sheet form. That once profiled, you actually discard more of that material than you do use in a ski. We've now been able to almost ne nearly eliminate all waste and replace that material with something that is designed performance-centric for a ski that actually its performance characteristics improve as the temperature goes down, which you would think of anything else in skis, like it's getting cold out there, like things are getting crispy, like... We're flexing plastics, like things are going to break and our urethanes actually get stronger the colder it gets. And that's something that because it's application specific, we've been able to arrive on some way that we can improve performance while in the same breath, reduce our dependency on petroleum. And so casting a liquid urethane, like Zan brought up earlier, gives us the optionality that we can basically use a variable depth channel where when we profile the ski core, we don't end up having to remove any of that sidewall material because we profiled into the finished dimension. So our waste stream has been dramatically reduced. We've been able to improve ski integrity because of this material application, increase the bio content of the ski's overall construct, and then figure out, okay, so like if this thing's gonna like polymerize with the wood, like how is it interacting with that wood? How is that interacting with the manufacturing process? So we've ended up, by result, eliminating polonia from the course which I know is like a, a light hardwood that a lot of manufacturers are using today. And we really liked it. You know, when we came out with the Intention 110, it needed to be a ski that gave us, you know, kind of like start to finish optionality. You know, it was a very diverse ski shape. You guys have skied it. And it needed to kind of be a jack of all trades because it's the only ski we had. So adding Polonia left and right of the algal hard foam core uh, out to edge, which is just like where you have the vertical stringers and then we would run Polonia out to the edge. It lightened weight, it lighted up the ski a bit and still retained a fair bit of its strength. You know, as we started developing and testing these new materials, we had to start analyzing all the adjacent materials that are having to work in complement to this new urethane. And we were just, you know, blown away with some of the strength characteristics that we could achieve with an aspen versus a polonia. Not to mention that the polonia it does, it's not nearly as dense. So it's having, you know, its problems interacting with the urethanes when they're polymerizing because, you know, that process is drawing moisture from anything it can get. And that moisture creates imperfections with the cast. And so we ended up having to, like, find where we can reduce some of those imperfections in process, where we can get stronger ski integrity wall to wall. Um, we're doing three-point tests, you know, where we're, we're driving a certain amount of force down through the ski supported by two uprights. And with the Polonia, we're seeing like that core is like propagating its fracture line. Whereas like with an all Aspen core with our urethane, which doesn't break in those tests, but the core with the Aspen is snapping clear between the two points. There's no propagation and it's taking much more load than what we were able to get with the Polonia. So we know we've been able to increase strength and by nature of its density, we've been able to improve the consistency of the urethane as it's polymerizing. And two, like we had no visibility to where we were getting this polonia from. It was coming over on a boat from Asia. Mm -hmm. And good luck trying to get like an LCA on that. You know what I mean? So it conflicted with some of our morals around having, you know, clear visibility and providing that transparency onward to the consumer. So mm -hmm. we know we can source Aspen locally and it can be, a, you know, a very um, consistent, uniform uh, supply for mm -hmm. us. And it's been, it's been beneficial. So the result is skis got a little bit stronger. Skis got a little bit heavier, you know, and I know you're Damn not it. bummed about that, <laughs> but it got heavier in a mindful way because we now have also introduced 
the 100. And by nature, it's dimension, the ski's lighter. Yeah. It's narrower. Yeah. It's designed to be more nimble, quicker edge to edge by nature of all these you know, geometric innovations. And it allows the 110 to now be a little bit more specialized in, it, in its own domain, you know, a ski that is capable of ripping big mountain, you know, consequential terrain. It doesn't need to be the jack of all trades like it was in the first year. So we've been able to kind of tweak the 110 to be a little bit more powerful for kind of the 110 big mountain category that that ski likes to play well in and now have a narrower, more nimble complement with the 100 where we can still hit some of those lower targeted weights that backcountry skiers want but still provide them with the versatility that they can ski it in a variety of snowpacks, you know? The Intention 110, Polonia got swapped out. Aspen is now... Yeah, it's all Aspen. And, and the algal core is now all Aspen with the high-density algal foam. Have you guys been able to prototype this ski and the rest? Like, Pep and Matt, you guys have been spending time on this? I mean, I think that we we achieved kind of what Matt was saying. Like, we achieved the the strength characteristics. We still also tried to had to tweak a little bit of the angles in the profile to keep it still playful because I playing in the snow is what we all love to do. And especially in backcountry setting, like you want to be able to get loose and light and uh, have maneuverability. So we also increased the tip height a little bit just so it becomes a little bit more powder focused and you get that really nice planing sensation when you're on them. So this is to say first versions of the updated Intention 110 felt a little too, either too stiff or a little too chargy for what you were going for? Uh, initially, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they were a little bit too too stiff in the tail. I think like that changeover, like when, when you're going through the testing process, you really need to like identify certain variables and then kind of change methodically throughout them. And once we changed to the Aspen core, the tail stiffened up a lot. And also with the, with the urethane bonding directly to that Aspen, you get a really solid line torsionally. And so that torsional stiffness also plays into the overall strength characteristics. And so, yeah, I think we had, we had to tame that down a little bit by reducing the um, core depth thickness. And then we were able to achieve that, that stiffness that I like personally. So, cause when you first started talking about some of the changes and you were saying, using the word strength, my question was, okay, so is this going to primarily like when we get on the new one, we'll be like, oh, it's real hard to notice an on snow difference in terms of feel, but we have a durability bump, right? Like, but it sounds like you're saying, please correct me if I'm wrong, there should be a durability bump, but you're saying we are likely to find a different on snow feel. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to, to preserve a lot of those same sensations that you felt last year because like we really liked yeah. how that ski skied yeah. and performed. And so minimal adjustments on the, on the feel of the ski, but upgrades in terms of durability and charginess. So will it should mm -hmm. charge harder and we've got a bit more tip splay going on on the front end. Yeah. Just slightly. Mm -hmm. We made it uh, one length shorter. So last year we um, bottomed out at 171 and we had a lot of women from the backcountry ski community ask for a shorter length. And we also had some young male adults who are coming into backcountry skiing looking for a, a shorter entry point. So we introduced a 164 length. Was that for Zan? Yeah, honestly, I, I'm hoping for some snuller blades, honestly. I, I like them real short. I mean, Zam was kind of waffling on the 78 or 85. Um, I think he's at home with the 85. Now. Yeah, no longer waffling. He was, I think, when we first met, we were a little bit, you know, on opposite ends with the ski length spectrum. I just like longer skis because I'm taller. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm biased in that regard. But um, Zan's light, you know, he doesn't weigh much. And so I can see how, like, a big ski gets heavier, gets yeah. more, like, strenuous to ski. So... You know, I mean, I don't, I don't judge by ski length. I think people should probably ski shorter skis generally just because mm -hmm. they'd be more dominant with it and they can really feel the ski for what it was designed for mm -hmm. rather than getting taken for a ride. Um, 
so no, I think I think uh, the sixty four is going to be a nice addition. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing with both camber, you know, you can get the intention one ten like the Vital one hundred, both a positive cambered and a rock and a full reverse camber. And we've we've done some time really like tweaking that, you know, like don't just like trade it out, you know, like really develop what makes this ski ski well in a reverse camber profile, what makes this ski ski well in a positive camber profile. Mm-hmm. So, and historically, I think the thing that's probably been the most um, impactful in our design and testing is that we have history to compare ourselves to. So in the first year when we introduced the 110, we were comparing it towards other skis. You know, I had the recently done the Forefront MSP 107 mm-hmm. and Pep was working on the mind benders with K2 and we had benchmarked some other skis that we thought were really cool and skied great um, in, the, in the market like we talked on last podcast last year. And this year we're just comparing ourselves to ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like you, if you go to the site, you look at the data, like it's all about where we were last year, where we are this year. Mm-hmm. And we're presenting that transparency with all the graphs around stiffness um, and pull strength and torsion rigidity. All that stuff is front facing as it compares to the skis from last year. So we have the data to back up that there's small tweaks and that we're comparing those tweaks directly against what we had last year, not just another ski that we're excited about that's in this room as well. So that's kind of how that 110 got got to where it is for 2020. Vital 100? What do we got? Yeah, it's our new 100 underfoot ski focused on more firm snow and technical skiing conditions. You could call it like more of our like spring-oriented ski if that Intention 110 is more of like the early season to like approaching midwinter kind of ski. And uh, yeah, what do you want to add? This is something Pep should weigh in on. For sure. Well... Of course, you want something that is going to be your friend in the uptrack and your friend in any kind of technical situation. The intention behind the Vital was to have a ski that you can go out for a long period of time and go out all day on longer missions. And regardless of what snow condition you encounter, you won't have a blip in your confidence uh, when you're skiing down. I think that was really realized actually this when we, um, skied them in April, we were expecting to ski very spring-like conditions. And instead we got kind of like four to six inches of snow. And that was on top of some really solar penetrated snow. It was really hard and kind of nasty. And there were big ice chunks here and there, but like they did great in those conditions. And then of course, as things changed, they also skied well in corn and crud. And anyway, I mean, we also get like, we try to get a lot of different people out on the skis and different skier styles. I think a really good testament to the these skis' ability um, came from a group of three guys who did a volcano tour, self-supported on bikes from Mount Shasta all the way up to Mount Hood. They hit seven volcanoes and biked the whole way with our skis and they encountered every condition as well. Like they got snow, hail, rain, corn, crud, like the whole gamut. And they, uh, they wrote us some really nice notes afterwards. Yeah. And we're like skis were perfect for what we did. When the skis were out in, in like the field, they skied really well, but in the lab they felt maybe like under, 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 under performing, you know, like they felt soft and almost forgiving and I was like, oh, these skis should be stiffer, you know, like we're building a ski that needs to like complement the 110 and, and all this stuff. And then we actually brought like, a, you know, a, a group of, um, we call them friends of wonder together, our FOWs, and just to kind of talk it through. And, and they're like, you know, it actually like makes a lot of sense to have this ski be a, a more versatile, a little bit softer, more forgiving flex, because you need to think also about like the interface between this ski and like the type of binding you're going to use. You know, like we're not going to design every ski with the intention to put a look, a look pivot 18 on it. If you over, if you overpower the ski for its binding interface, you're going to have a mismatch in, in characteristic. Like the ski needs to be capable th- from the boot through the binding into the application set. And so I thought that was a really interesting takeaway. It was kind of a maturing experience for me because I typically just relied on my ego to like tweak skis to make them ski right and arguably like majority of, of skis that I've, I've had uh, opportunity to work on needed to eventually be refined for commercial purposes because they were too one-sided. 
you know, whether they skied well for the local area that I was testing them in. And that could have just been the fact that like, I'm just catering to a fall line. He really, you really do have a way with words. I love that. That was some word ninjing right there. Okay. I don't know. I'd love that. I don't want that to sound egotistical because that's not what I meant to say, but it kind of sounds like it. Like, oh, I had to cater to the fall line today. <laughs> like, no, like if the mountains like provide, like I'm going to go up and lap like the tram in Jackson, like you're going to build a stiff straight ski because like you don't have enough leg in you to like make turns all the way down, you know? So, you know, that's, that would be a catering to the fall line type of experience. Eric Jorlison made like this bomber ski back in the day so he could keep up with Hugo Harrison. He was catering to Hugo. Like, and it had a direct impact on the type of skis we made for Eric with his name on it. Cause it was like, I'm just trying to keep up with this crazy man. And so we made a ski with an 80 meter side cut. It was, it was insane. So like, I, I guess I'm just trying to speak to like, I was very open-minded and I think we had a really thoughtful roundtable about how ski binding boot interfacing needs to work in harmony to provide that experience. And um, I also want to provide a little insight to the listeners because I feel like they deserve some, you know, backstory to how we drive skis. And, and you know, if, you, if you've had a chance to ski with Pepper myself or, or you've been able to witness the type of skiing that we're really into, we love skiing powder, right? Huh. <laughs> and... I know it's a shock for a lot of you guys out there, um, but like that's like been the thing that he and I have probably focused on skiing the most the last 10 years because we used to compete in slope style against one another. And we both found our our, our, our passion in the backcountry, hence which makes this, pop, this, this partnership so rad. But we wanted to make a 120. Like that was the next ski. 110 to 120? Yeah. I mean, Solid. that was our move. And Pep's like, are you, are, Pep's like, well, like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm really sure. Cause like I haven't skied a 110 on a regular basis in a while. You huh. know, I always had a, a, a renegade 120 something. And then I would downsize depending on like, in terms of waist width, depending on the feature, you know, long approaches or whatnot, I would, I would narrow up a bit, but it wasn't typically for sake of trying to like lighten weight my, my kid. I was just like to try to make the skis more maneuverable. So I just felt like it's time to return back to the 120 now that we've got the 110 seated. And Zam was like, I think we should really think more about, like, is that an appropriate next ski? And so we actually sent out a survey to our FOWs. <laughs> and <laughs> I, was, I was expecting them to already, like, read my mind that this is a questionnaire around a 120. Like, it was so blatantly obvious that that was going to be the next step that I didn't even, like, realize that I left the door open for them to comment about what waste width they would want in the next ski. And so, all of a sudden, we've got these unguided answers coming through to questions we asked specifically around the 120 that are all, like, leaning towards a lighter, more nimble 100-waist ski. And I'm like, but that I didn't ask you that question if you wanted a 100. That's That was something Zam did. Did Zam, like, you know what I mean? Like, what is this? Like, this was a questionnaire about how can we make the 120 the best 120 it can be? And all the FOWs were like, yeah, dude, I think it's a good move to, like, make a lighter ski. Like, this is this is smart. And I was like, that's not what I asked you. So so now, like, I, Pep's like, dude, I'm going to Japan. I need a 120. And, like, you know, straight up, like, I, I agree. You do need a fat ski for Japan. Um and so we had already started working with Logan Imlock, shouts to Logan, yeah. our ski designer, to like create a, sh a shape outline for a 120 that built off of a lot of the characteristics we had in the 110. But then like literally like I talked to him on a Monday, we then called him like later that week and I was like, dude, this, this survey came back and like we've been talking internally and we think we should probably also make a 100. And he's like, well, which one's priority? I'm like, actually, the 100 is now a priority. So we'll just take what you have right now with the 120. We're going to build a one-off for Pep. And he can go to Japan with that. But we're going to shift all of our focus around the development of this 100. And it was a great decision. And that was another maturing experience. Zan's over here just like, Zan, oh, dude, this is no shit. Zan's loving it, you know? This is a funny position to be in. Yeah, because he was like kind of asking for the 100 instead of the 110 yeah. and you know he and i had just kind of gotten to know one another started working together when it was like it came game time to like make a ski and so i just ran with it you know and they were just like dude we just got to run with this you know like we have to get a prototype to test can this material ski can algae ski and like i was like cool like call up my homie logan like let's make a ski i got a ski made daniel and i cranked out a prototype i'm like hey we made a ski and they're like cool what like what is it and i was like oh dude it's a 110 it's gonna be super rad and he's like okay 
Like that was ba- that was the basis of his input on the, on the start. Mm-hmm. And now that we've had a year working together, he's been able to have a lot more, you know, uh, contribution to the designs uh, conversations. And uh, and now also with the extended FOW community, we were able to field their inputs. And I think just having that soundboard and that platform of like-minded backcountry skiers to collectively like own this lifestyle of Wonder Alpine and think about what's the next appropriate move. It, while it came at the conflict of my personal appetite for a narrower ski, I mean, I still, I'm stoked on the 100, but I still want a 120. I think it was the right next step for the brand. And it really gave us some optionality with, like we said, with the 110 to make it more what it can do and allow the 100 to be more versatile for the audience that wants to use a ski that has that nice harmony between boot binding, high alpine, you know, ski, ski ascents. We need to take a moment here to revisit the Pep versus Sturbin's slope style comp days. Pep's, a, Pep's undefeated. It's the Pep factor, dude. He just shows I mean, up and wins everything. It sucks. Is that how you remember it? Not really how I remember it. I mean, I think I think the majority of the contests that we were like head to head in were like U.S. Open. I don't think I ever did really well in the U.S. Open. Maybe a top ten finish here or there. Yeah. X Games in Aspen. X Games. I think you got third. I got seventh. Yeah. We did the Snowbird Red Bull Big Air. Oh, that's right. I kicked your ass there too. <laughs> but I was like, in the, I think you and I had to go against each other in the semis or something. Yeah. Which was, it sucked because like. It was all bracket system, you know? And I remember, like, Candide, like, got taken out. By? Because, like, Candide did like something Godzilla like... Godzilla or what? I know, I know. He's the best. Uh, he did something, like, just super Candide, like, like a flare. You know, like a big... Like, he, like, hit, like, the table and did, like, a backflip 180, but, like, held the tail to, like, his skis touched the ground and his, like, French style with his palm hat. And everybody's just like, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. <laughs> and then, you like, you get, like, another kid coming up. He throws, like, a 1080, and the judge is like, oh, the 1080 wins. And, like, it was just at that point in time where the sport hadn't yeah. really defined how style plays a yeah. role against technicality. And then you had, like, other French skiers like Laurent Favre come up, like, throwing, like, you know, fives to the flats and the like, U.S. Open big air. People are just like, that's the most insane thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we haven't really seen style like that be such in stark contrast to tech it's a cool setting and i remember i had a really awesome way through the brackets i had just the right trick to outperform each of the people and i was like shit dude i'm getting up there like i might be in the finals you know and then i i ended up having to go against pep in the semis and he took me out and i, I mean I, I conceded the loss before i even pulled up to the starting gate i was like oh, oh shit. that was like, probably your problem i lost my mental <laughs> i lost i lost my mental edge That's like right. pro tip don't do that uh, i lost my <laughs> mental edge you're right. You're right. Yeah. You know what? And another thing just for, for fun is uh, I was skiing for Scott USA at the time and Johnny Atencio, big shouts to Johnny. He um, was a TM. And I remember I, I, I had an episode where I crashed in the event and my binding broke and I came back to him and he was like, whatever in the industry area. And I was being pretty vocal about my, um, I was so upset about this binding breaking, you know, and I was kind of throwing him under the bus a little bit. And he just kind of pulled me over to the side and he was like, hey, Matt, like, there's people from Solomon around here. Like, you don't, don't talk like that. Like, if you're frustrated about something, that's fine. You can be pissed, but don't make it like, you don't, you're not getting any points for this. Like, calm down. And I was like, shit, Johnny, like, just kind of dad, like, you know, it was like, it was like a dad move. Like, whoa. And like, I was literally just thinking about that episode like a week ago or something, I ride my bicycle. And I was like, dude, Johnny like took the initiative as a TM to be like, dude, it'd be better for your image if you didn't voice your frustration right now. Like, just be humble. That didn't work out and let it be because you're not going to like win anybody over by making this a big, you know, you're not, nobody's going to oh, decide with you because your binding broke. Yeah, screw those guys. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that was like a really good growing thing for me. So I got a lot out of that event. Obviously losing to him, but I got that perspective from Johnny. So I became a better person from it all. So for like moments of growth, we're talking that moment and then like conceding to make a uh, yeah. narrower ski. Those are like the top two or? Yeah. The no, two times. No, no, <laughs> no. It was like, how can I figure out to work a way where like Pep and I design skis together? You know, that was like what I was going. Well, you nailed it. Because I was like, dude, this guy, he's like, he's got my number. Like I should be learning from this guy more often. And he was so well received over at K2 and the things that I was trying to accomplish with Forefront, there just wasn't a good fit. And I know we may have talked about that in the past, but like this opportunity to work with him, 
you know, we started competing against each other. And most of the time he, he had me. I don't know. I can't think of when I beat you, if it ever happened. I don't know. I guess you probably weren't in the next game. So I think I got last and Andy got second to last. We were both on hell beds. Oh, tight. Yeah. Making a statement, no polls. Oh yeah, no polls. Yeah, that's cool. Since since we've just gone all over the place now <laughs> in this conversation, we really should have hit the record button last night yeah. and just had a like, I don't know, beer and whiskey filled like story time. I feel like I I'm sorry people listening to this. I I've failed you. I will ask though, Pep, I was asking if you'd spent much time in Crested Butte. And I think you said you'd only been here once. Yeah. And it sounded like the most epic way you could possibly roll into Crested Butte. So you care to share that uh, little tidbit again? Yeah, sure. Um, that was me, Sean, and Seth. We were, you know, uh, working on a project for K2 to film film some of their new skis. I think it was four, uh, four or five years ago now. Yeah, we went out to Irwin. We stayed at the Eleven Experience. You probably know those guys, but yeah, pretty hospitable place. And yeah, we yeah we went up to Irwin. We we skied there a couple days, and then like the sun, the there was a bit of a hot spell that came through, and yeah, things were getting a little bit sketchy. So we tried to find a smaller zone, more confined, and we found one that was pretty close to town, and. Sean was about to drop into his line. He made one turn and the whole face ripped out. And uh, that was it. We we decided we'd call it there. Bailed the next day. So you, Sean, and Seth roll up, get on top of a line. The whole thing cracks. And you're like, I think we'll call it a day. Yep. And a trip. You still then need a a proper ski of of CBs. So we'll have to think about this. Back to the Vital 100 for a sec. So I'm hearing you guys say that it is a bit softer of a ski than the Intention 110. Am I wrong to say this doesn't sound like that very traditional kind of ski mountaineering 95 millimeter ski that you're going to take to Chamonix to just go be serious on? You know, like that's a thing. I could be wrong, but what I've heard you say so far is like, no, this is going to not just be that kind of one-dimensional tool, which, by the way, nothing wrong with that, like time and place. But does that sound fair that it's going to maybe be a bit more, whether playful is the right word to use or just a bit more versatile than that kind of traditional schemo tool? I think it's going to be more accommodating also for different types of um, approaches, you know, and, and the and accompanying gear that needs to go into the whole package. I think that's something that um, I can't emphasize enough is like really important is the complete package because you can take an overpowering binding or an underpowering binding and you'll get a poor experience with both entities, right? You'll get, you won't get the satisfaction and comfort and confidence in the binding because it's coming out too soon because the ski is overpowering itself. So finding that match, um, I think is, is really important. And, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is like how we wanted to complement the nature that because it's a hundred waist, the ski's already going to be naturally quite agile edge to edge. My personal experience is I don't see a flat spot between edge transitions at a hundred millimeters underfoot. It goes from edge to edge seamlessly. You get into like a 105, 110, you do start to feel that mm-hmm. flatness between edge turns, right? Whereas the 100 is super quick edge to edge. So how do you make it so that the ski still performs well in diverse environments? Most of the time when we look at skis, even skis in this wall, the narrower they are, the shorter the side cut is. Right. And we thought like as a backcountry ski brand like that is counterintuitive. It's already nimble edge to edge because you made it narrower. So why not make the side cut longer? You're pulling at my heartstrings right now. So the Intention 110 actually has a shorter side cut than the Vital 100. We haven't talked about this yet. What is the side cut, stated side cut? In an 83, it's 24. And in the 85, 110, it's a 22 and a half. So the side cut's a meter and a half for its respected complementary length from model to model. So the, as the skis got narrower, we wanted the same kind of stability at speed so that when you hit the apron, 
and opened them up that the ski didn't get all nervous because you've got a you know slalom ski side cut on it because it's a narrow ski and it needs to have a short side cut. And I think like the forgiveness and flexibility of the ski complements what's on the market today too because you have these super lightweight laminate construction skis. You know they're like fifteen hundred grams or less, mm-hmm. and they're you know torsion box carbon fiber construction. They're super tingy and hollow feeling because the, the laminates are so are so stiff by nature. They don't have much give. So we wanted to create a ski that's that's narrower. Yeah, it's not going to be the lightest ski in the class, but it's going to ski well at higher speeds because of its longer side cut, and it's going to be forgiving so that you can ski a variety of different snowpack and and not have that like tinginess stiffness. You know, like God, this ski's tail is like I flexed one of the skis in this room. I was like, holy, that tail is rock solid. Like you know, it, it's it's an ACL jerker you know like it's gonna keep that boot forward you know like there's no there's no falling back seat on this thing you know i think that's some of the ways that we were able to tweak its complements in terms of shape to the 110 and to the complements of what we see in the 100 class of skis in the market today to kind of follow that up like as a skier in different situations unless you're really really good you're probably going to make some mistakes and you're going to need something that you can get out of those mistakes quickly. I like forgiving skis. I make mistakes once in a while. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice to have a ski that can, you know, get you back on your feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not just further drive you into the back seat. <laughs> like, oh, my back is slapping against the snow. I can't stand up on these things, but I can't stop them either. <laughs> yeah. So one fun thing is that all of us are sitting here thinking about and trying to somehow figure out in our crystal balls, like this coming winter and, you know, man, like literally we are all doing that. And, um, you know, I know one of the things you guys have talked about with wonder Alpine is trying to do some more kind of community event type things. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, last year we uh, debuted a backcountry ski event called the Wonder Roost, uh, which was really originally the idea was uh, just to kind of reward early adopters uh, to this new brand uh, with an opportunity to come out and ski with all of us. Uh, so we hosted that in the Wasatch, and it ended up being awesome because it really brought a lot of the community together. We really got to know a lot of our consumers really well, and yeah, it was really just a blast. Um, we wrapped up uh, our second ski day with like a a tour of the design lab in Salt Lake and then did a live ski build in front of everybody. Everyone's just like hanging out, beer in hand, watching the ski that they skied only hours ago get constructed. So it was it was cool just to bring everybody together to ski together, but then also just to aid our goal of transparency and showing really what's going down in the design lab day to day and how we're manufacturing and iterating new materials and products. So we definitely plan on doing more stuff like that in this coming season. Certainly COVID dependent, but uh, we're going to figure out a way to do it and make it inclusive and fun for everybody. Yeah. Stay tuned for more announcements on that. Well, hey guys, this has been fun. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for paying us a little visit here. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting on this 100 and the updated 110. I don't really want to start praying for snow just yet. I'm really enjoying riding bikes right now, but you know, everything has its time. It's coming, you know, COVID or not, it's going to snow. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a great backcountry year. And we're excited to have what we have to offer to the community and yeah, get out there and start enjoying, you know, the fruits of our, of our labor. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good luck with everything. Let's go eat some food or something. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, before we wrap this episode of Gear 30, I want to say that this week's segment of what we're celebrating, um, I'm going to dedicate to everyone out there and every company out there that is truly, honestly, and legitimately trying to figure out how we can all do things better and more responsibly. None of us are perfect. We will never achieve perfection. But here's to everyone that doesn't use that as an excuse to not try. So with that, let's just all keep striving to conduct ourselves in a truly better way. And I raise my glass to all of you who are committed to that work. So here's to you. 
And with that, I want to say thanks to Matt and Pep and Zan for the conversation and for their coming to Crested Butte to see us. And I want to say thanks to my strikingly handsome good friend, Justin Bob, for producing this episode. And of course, thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, we would still very much appreciate it if you would leave us a nice little rating or review in Apple Podcasts. Okay, thanks everybody. And from all of us here in the Gunnison Valley, please be safe out there. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. We will talk to you again next Friday here on Gear 30. But before then, you've got chances to catch us over on our Off the Couch podcast, our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, and of course, the original, the Blister podcast. So thanks. Check those out. Talk to you soon.